When Peter was preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 2, he referred to the crucifixion of Christ. And he said that this was, this took place according to the foreknowledge of God. I mention this because God, along with forming his eternal purpose in Christ and uh, bringing forth his economy, his plan and arrangement to carry out his purpose, a decision was made among the three of the Godhead that in the fullness of time, at an exact time, the Son of God would become a man. He would enter into time and space and become a God-man. And during his period of time on the earth, he would live the life of a God-man, fulfilling God's eternal purpose as the prototype for us. And then he would accomplish redemption by shedding his blood on the cross and then release the divine life to produce the body of Christ. In other words, God became a man in Christ to accomplish redemption and to accomplish God's purpose. So he didn't just come only to die for us, that our sins would be forgiven, and that we would go to heaven. We know from Hebrews 12 that when he was on the cross, enduring the, enduring the shame, there was a joy set before him. And I've wondered for many years, what was the joy set before him? I don't dare say that I know. I can just share with you my feeling about it. And we use other scriptures to help us. Like in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I personally believe that the joy set before him was his bride the church that would be the issue of his death and resurrection. We know from John chapter 2 that the Lord said, destroy this body, referring to his physical body, and on the third day I will raise it again, saying, and this will be the temple. So when he was resurrected, the church was brought into being. And so the point I'm trying to make is that when Christ came, he is now in space and in time. And his ministry is to do God's will and fulfill his purpose and to reconcile us back to God so that we would become those who are living for his purpose. So for 30 years, 
He was just living in a large family. He had four brothers because they're named. The, the sisters, the word sisters is in plural, so there were at least two. It seems there's always more females than males. Maybe there was five. We don't know. So he was the oldest of at least seven. I don't think he had his own room. He lived in poverty in a despised region. He worked as a carpenter. Then for three and a half years, he ministered publicly. And we may say there were two aspects of his ministry. One is, is his heart to care for suffering people. He would look at the multitude like sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion. He healed. He cast out demons. Even though these people would not be his disciples, this shows his heart toward fallen, suffering human beings to heal so many. But something more important related to God's purpose is the fact that he chose the apostles and another number to be with him for three and a half years and to train them because at the age of 33 and a half, he would die on the cross, be resurrected. Then he would ascend and leave the entire responsibility to these believers, most of which are younger than he was. That's, that's quite a, an exchange. Here, Peter and the rest of you, you carry out the whole thing. I will be in the heavens ministering and praying. So what the Lord did and taught is of utmost importance. And surely what he taught was undeniably the truth and the reality. When he stood before Pilate, as recorded in John 18, he said this, and I love this verse and maybe 37 or 38. For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world, that I might testify concerning the truth. So he himself is the truth, John 14, 6. He is the reality, and he came to testify concerning the truth. So at a certain time, he brought the apostles with him, to Caesarea Philippi, away not only from Jerusalem, but from his homeland, in a, a, a pure environment, then asked a question. What are the people saying? What are they saying about me? Who do they say that I am? There's all kinds of opinions. You're this, you're that. Then he asked, who do you say? Then Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He got a direct revelation. The Lord said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in the heavens. Then the Lord went on to say, on this rock, which is myself, it's not you, which is myself and even more, it's the revelation concerning me, I will build my church. Now we're right 
at the working out of God's purpose to have the church as his corporate expression. I will build my church. The greatest prophecy in the Bible. So my church is the universal church, the body of Christ, including all believers through all ages. And when he said, I will build my church, he's really saying, I will fulfill God's purpose to have the church as his expression and eventually as my wife and counterpart. Then he went on to chapter 18, and now is addressing the practicality of this. So here are believers in a locality, and one has done something wrong, maybe has sinned against a brother, then the Lord clearly says something, which I'm sorry to say, we very rarely practice. He said, you go to the brother, one-on-one, and bring the matter to him. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This is the purpose, to gain him, to recover him. But if he does not listen to you, then try again with maybe two others with you to be the witness. To see if he would then listen to them. And if not, the Lord said, tell it to the church. Now, in our practice, this does not mean you stand up in a meeting of everybody there and start talking about the situation. The church is represented by its administration, the elders, the leading ones. So you bring it to the church. So what's the difference between my church and the church? Well, the church is the local expression of my church. And that church is the procedure for building up my church. So the Lord established this practice and the apostles followed it. So they raised up the church in Jerusalem. It's called that in Acts chapter 8. Then in Acts chapter 13, according to an exact translation, in the local church at Antioch. So this is the norm according to Christ. Now, here is the situation. In Matthew 19, the Lord will set forth the principle of recovery. And he did it this way. The religious leaders came to him to ask about divorce. If a man wants to divorce his wife, can he just get a document and sign it, give it to her and send her away? Do you agree that this is a proper way? So then he asked, what did Moses say? He said, Moses allowed us to do this then this is what the Lord said. Moses allowed that because of the hardness of your heart. In the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning. 
That is not what God ordained in the beginning. So he is now pointing out two ways that the believers can apply the truth or do things. One is they do what the Lord allows them to do. He knows their heart. Your heart is set. Then go ahead. Like the younger son in the parable in Luke 15. He said, Father, I want my share of the inheritance. The father didn't say, no, I forbid you to do this. You're going to waste it. You're going to regret this. He said, okay, this is what you want. Okay, I will let you do it. And so what we may call this is the permissive will of God. Things that, you know, say they're they're not altogether that bad, but they're just not at the center. And so the Lord allows there to be on the earth the Apostolic Roman Catholic Church, all the Protestant denominations, all kinds of sects and divisions. But from the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, just as the arrangement was for marriage, in the beginning, there is one church in a city, and that church in a city is the local expression of the unique body of Christ. And that keeps the oneness. And I already mentioned that in Revelation, the first three chapters, the Lord himself is referring to the churches, then he's addressing the churches. How much clearer can you make it? He said, I'm to the messenger of the church in Ephesus, to the church in Smyrna, the church in Pergamos, the church in Thyatira, the church in Sardis, the church in Philadelphia, the church in Laodicea. It's so clear. It's so normal. Then at the very end of the book of Revelation, he said, I, Jesus, have sent this messenger to testify these things for the churches. And the book of Revelation was addressed to the churches and it was sent to the churches. But what happened is that something else rose up in the place of what God had intended. And the Lord prophesied concerning this in two places. The first was in Matthew chapter 13. And he said, this is what will happen. A seed is planted. It should just be an an annual plant. But it will become a great big tree. And the birds will lodge in it. Some say, Wow, that's the growth of the church. No. That is the change in nature from an herb to an ugly tree. And the birds that lodge in the branches, they're the birds that ate up the seed of the gospel of the kingdom, also mentioned. And then he said, a woman will take leaven and thoroughly mix it with the fine flour. 
And that woman signifies Jezebel and Thyatira bringing in pagan things, worldly things, and mix them with the divine things because that makes it easier for people to accept. Then he went on to speak of the pearl of great price and the treasure hidden in the field. So the Lord was not surprised. He knew there would be this degradation throughout history. Then because the book of Revelation is a prophecy, what we have in Revelation 2 and 3 is what we call the prophetic history of the church. So Ephesus, that's a period of time immediately after the apostles. Then Smyrna, that's the period of persecution and suffering under the Roman Empire. Uh, Smyrna. Then Pergamos, that's when the enemy changed his strategy. Instead of trying to kill the church, he said, how about we get married? And they fell for it. So you had a union between the Roman Empire and Christianity as a religion. Then eventually Thyatira, is the Roman Catholic Church. Sardis are the denominations. Philadelphia is the recovered church. And Laodicea is the degraded recovered church that happened in the 19th century. The Lord recovered something marvelous in Ireland and in England with the brothers. They were absolute. They were pure. They gave up the clergy laity system. They met in the Lord's name. The heavens were opened. But then they divided again and again and again and again. And this is one of the greatest concerns that I have, that we are not immune. We're not superior to anyone. We're not better than anyone. And just every fiber of my being would resist a decline from Philadelphia to Laodicea. And so the principle of recovery that I mentioned in Matthew 19, God applied to the church. First, he had to recover much truth, then experiences and certain practices. Then eventually, he reached the point, there needs to be the recovery of one church in one city. And the Lord raised up in China two extraordinarily gifted human beings. Only God knows the level of the intelligence of Brother Nee with his photographic memory. Even they tested him reading many papers, newspapers, they would quiz him. And he studied the whole history. And every, every kind of teaching and measured everything by the scriptures. Then all this was poured into Brother Lee who had also an extraordinary capacity. The Lord brought them into resurrection. We say this, we're not Neites, we're not Leites. We don't take a name, we're not going to be a denomination. But we recognize the Lord went to China and he used these men and he did a wonderful work there. And I just feel sad that so many in the United States, this is, they just are not that open to something that comes from the Far East. Well, why? That's a bias. Why would you not receive what's from the Lord? 
Maybe the Lord will take a major move to Africa and have a powerful move in Africa. Then why would we not receive what he's doing in Africa? And so what we, I'm mentioning this because we now need to see that the church, the church, the local church, is the means for God to fulfill his purpose. But everything was lost. This disappeared from history. You don't see the local churches in the 4th century. You don't see them in the 14th century. But there had to be a recovery. And this recovery is symbolized by a portion of the history of the nation of Israel. When there was a return from Babylon to Jerusalem, that was a recovery. God's people knew only in Jerusalem could they build the temple. That was the chosen ground. In Babylon, they may erect synagogues, but they couldn't build the temple. And Jeremiah prophesied after 70 years, the captivity would end. Then Daniel prayed for the fulfillment of that prophecy. Then the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king, and he encouraged many to go back to Jerusalem. And their spirit was stirred up. And they paid the price, a small number. Most just settled down in Babylon. We have our businesses here. We raise our children here. We're intermarrying with them here. Don't be extreme to go all the way back to Jerusalem. What is there? But a number went. Rebuilt the temple. Rebuilt the city. And because they returned, the prophecy concerning the birth of Christ could be fulfilled. If, If they had not returned, that prophecy could not be fulfilled because it would be fulfilled there. Well, the principle is now the same with us in the recovery of the genuine church life, not the ideal church life, not the perfect church life. If there is a perfect local church and I visit there, now that I'm there, it's no longer perfect. Okay? You may be perfect until I came. And I'm not being humble here. You'll find out the imperfections in this person, and you now are officially an imperfect local church. And so this is what God wanted to do. Why? Because his purpose is fulfilled through the local churches. And this is really startling. Just as those who returned from Babylon to Jerusalem opened the way for Christ to come the first time, those who returned from division to genuine oneness expressed in the local churches will prepare the way for the Lord to come the second time. And we will see this tomorrow morning that it's in the recovered church that the overcoming saints, they not only fulfill God's eternal purpose, they become the fulfillment of the eternal purpose. They become the new Jerusalem. They become the wife. 
then the Lord can look upon these churches all over the earth. And he sees one corporate person being formed in all these countries. The bride has made herself ready. Then the trumpet sounds in Revelation 19. Rejoice and exult. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. Blessed are they who are invited to the marriage dinner of the Lamb. You may wonder who is that? Will there be a lot of guests plus the bride? No, only one person will be invited and that will be the bride herself. And so there, is, there has to be a recovery of the genuine practice of the church life as revealed in the New Testament. And when we take this way, we do this for two positive reasons. One is to obey God, to do the will of God. And the other positive reason is we do this on behalf of all the believers. You may not agree with us, it's okay. And we're in a city, the city the size of Los Angeles. There's a church there with several districts. But the heart of all the saints is we receive all the Christians in Los Angeles. Amen. We, we are taking this stand for you. Amen. We're not a sect that excludes you. Amen. The Lord's table is his table. When you come into a meeting, the ushers don't interrogate you, right? You have every right to be here. This is our family. And so there must be the recovery of the local church. And then in the local churches, saints need to have certain experiences of Christ and a certain development in life that they actually fulfill God's purpose and they are the overcomers, as will be explained. The Greek word translated overcomer, some of you may have the name on your shoes. It's Nike. <laughs> Nike. Nike. The verb is nikao, to conquer, to be victorious. And so a victor is a Nike. So I don't know if... Wearing Nike boots will make you an overcomer. Probably not. You might be able to kick the enemy around a little. And so that the overcomers are believers who are victorious. But when we hear this, we, think, we may think, oh, they must be the, the, like the special forces in the army. You know? They're like the Navy SEALs. They're the elite. No, they're not. There's no such thing. They're just normal believers produced by Christ who is the overcomer. Amen. So in Revelation 3.21, he said, He who overcomes will sit with me on my throne even as I have overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. In Revelation 5, 6, we're told the lamb has overcome. So Christ is the victor. Amen. 
He knows none of us by our natural life can be victorious over anything. Right? I mean, we may be enjoying the Lord and someone cuts us off in front and then makes a right or left turn in front of us. We are defeated by one goofy driver. (laughs) Then how are we going to deal with principalities and powers and hordes of demons when we're bothered by things like this? And so the Lord knows this. So he's not saying you must be this. That's why we sang this hymn, Who Will Be an Overcomer? Who Will Make This Choice? We make the choice, but we don't promise. Lord, from now on, I'm going to be a a victor. If I made this promise, I would say between now and uh, 2 p.m., I would certainly be defeated, probably more than once. But in that first stanza, it says, Will you be an overcomer? though you know not how. But it is Christ who will reproduce himself in anyone who wants Christ to reproduce himself. And if you say, Lord, for, for your purpose, for your economy, reproduce yourself in me, make me an overcomer, then what do you think he's going to say? No, I want you to be defeated. No, anyone. There's not a super group in the recovery. It's not the co-workers. It's not elders. It's not those who went to a full-time training and you didn't get to go. and You're second rate. No, there's no such thing. There's just us. Just us, weak, fragile human vessels who experience more undergoing than we do overcoming. But we turn our eyes away and say, he's the victor. He has overcome the world. And he will now, in his ministry, live again his overcoming life in us. He will reproduce himself in us. So now we can go through the outline with some foundation here. The overcoming Christ producing overcomers in the recovered church to consummate the divine economy. So this is parallel. We fulfill God's eternal purpose. We need to consummate his economy. And the word consummate indicates a process reaching its conclusion. We may say, um, if a brother and sister have a genuine feeling for each other from the Lord, they, they fellowship in a proper way with some brothers, the way is open for them to have a courtship. That courtship is a process. Then eventually, however the brother wants to do it, he proposes and they are engaged. That's also the next step of the process. Then there's a wedding meeting, which is the end of the process. Then the two come together. That's the consummation. And so to consummate the divine economy is to arrive at the goal. And the the recovered church with the overcomers will arrive at this goal. 
The Lord will not come back and he cannot come back until the bride is ready. And the bride will be made ready through the Lord's recovery. Yes, there may be overcomers in various places. We leave that to the Lord. It's not our decision. But the procedure is with the recovered church. Now, one other matter about overcomers. And it was necessary for me and others to engage some of the big theological names in the U.S. over this, over the truth. Because they are inaccurate regarding one thing. In 1 John, we read of, this is what overcomes the world, our faith. And John is saying, every believer who is born of God, you overcome the world. That's right. In that sense, all believers are overcomers. That's what the word says. Lord, I just believe in you. I believe you are victorious. Amen. Then these Bible teachers say, in Revelation 2 and 3, when the Lord calls for overcomers, he means everybody. Every believer is an overcomer. But no, this is a different category of overcoming. If all the believers were overcomers, why would he call for overcomers? He would just say, you're all a bunch of overcomers. But they're not all a bunch of overcomers. And so this is to be a victor to conquer the degradation negatively and to fulfill God's purpose and consummate his economy positively. And so that teaching... That wrong teaching can just wipe out everyone's spiritual life. I'm already this. Then they meet the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. And the Lord has a different view. And then he says, okay, look at this person here. Watchman Nee. Do you match him? Do you have the maturity he has? This is the record of how he served. Is that you? I realize you were misled. So your situation will be less demanding. But those who taught you wrongly will be judged more severely. You read James chapter 3. James says, there should not be many teachers among you. For those who teach will be judged more severely. You're responsible. My brother said responsible. I'm I'm responsible to the uttermost. I, I have no choice. I have to be faithful to minister the word. But I'm responsible. I realize that. But I can't run away of the responsibility. Then I'm leaving God and his will and his purpose. So we just need to be clear. The church has to be recovered and the overcomers have to be produced. Now we can go through the outline. And there'll be at least 15 minutes for you to respond. God wants to end this age. Amen. Amen. And bring in the age of the kingdom. For this great dispensational move, God must have the overcomers as his dispensational instrument to consummate the divine economy. 
If he wants to turn the age to the kingdom, he must have the overcomers. Now a little word here about God wants to end this age and bring in the age of the kingdom. A word to uh, show some, some understanding and some loving concern for the young people and young adults. And I'm, I might understand some of your thinking a little bit. And I'm not bothered by it. So you can kind of check me out when I mention this. I say, oh, I want the Lord to come back. I want the age to end. And they may say, yes, Brother Ron, but you are an elderly person. And you, you had the time to live your whole life. You can get your education. You can get your graduate this and that education. You can get married. You can be a daddy with children. You can be a grandpa. And sure, we understand why you are ready to end the age because you're about ready to end, period. <laughs> okay? But look, I'm just, I'm just 21. And so I do want the Lord to come, but my honest prayer is, Lord Jesus, come, but not yet. <laughs> Okay, then oh, he's not shocked. You're a human. And eventually, there's going to be some young people on the earth when the overcomers are raptured. But we don't know when this will be. And while we are developing spiritually, we should just be as normal as possible. Get the best education or the best trade. And establish a marriage and have a family because when the Lord illustrates the rapture in Matthew 24 okay there's two women there's two men okay the two men are what are they pray reading two were pray reading they're singing hymns they're engaged in PSRP uh, they're, they're involved in blending fellowship no they're just, they're just grinding again. Before you can even bake the bread, you've got to grind it up. One is taken, the other left. Two men are in the field. They're under jobs. Right? It's not the brothers just um, having a vital group and studying the truth together. No. They're doing their job. <coughs> but one is taken and the other left. Why is one taken and the other left? The Lord didn't like, like, like to have a little daisy pluck the petals. Take him, take him not. Take him, take him not. God is not arbitrary like this. They're both just wonderfully normal and practical. But inwardly, among the two sisters, there's a reality in one. She has learned to live in two realms at the same time. Outwardly, she's doing all of this day after day. But inwardly, she's in the mingled spirit. She's living in another realm at the same time. She can respond instantly to impressions from the spirit. And she just senses while she's grinding. It's time. Immediately, she responds. The other does not have that inward reality and has no sense, no ability to respond. 
And so what I'm saying is, just make the best plans you can. Don't be like some of the young people in the 70s in California that needed a major adjustment. This, this is what they're saying. Jesus is coming again. We don't need an education. We don't need a good job. We will mow lawns and clean swimming pools. And Brother Lee corrected that. that. That's not the way to go. And so I understand the not yet in you. Some of us that are not young, we have our own not yet. And that is, I'm not yet ready. <laughs> just give me a little bit more time. But eventually, we'll just be brought out of ourselves. We'll just be brought out of ourselves, And we we'll say, Lord, I want you to end this age. I want you to deal with the evil on the earth. I want your heart's desire to be fulfilled. In the meantime, just come to the Lord as you are. He said, Lord, I want you to come back, preferably when I'm 87. Okay? (laughs) Then what are you going to say to your great-grandchildren? Then you're going to have to pass on the same words. So I give you a little tip, right? So I just want to make it clear. We don't have a kind of spirituality that nullifies the normalcy of human life at whatever stage. That's why when I get these advertisements, email, I don't know how they got my address. Maybe someone, they sell your addresses. And what do they think? They want to, they want to sell me this anti-aging, anti-aging stuff. First of all, I don't believe it works. The second is, I don't want that. I just want to be a normal God-man at whatever stage of life I'm in. I'm not a young man. I'm not middle age. Middle age really has to end at 70. <laughs> and I remember asking one doctor who was a specialist in training elder people, I said, when does someone come officially elderly? When I should, should I consider myself as elderly? And he thought about it. He said, 75, okay? Well, well that's ancient history, 75. <laughs> and so, look, no, don't, don't try to sell me stuff to try to prevent this and that and not have wrinkles and not, not need a cane. And... No. I have a pattern. I watched Brother Lee. I was with him on the day he went to be with the Lord. We spoke our last words to him. He's almost 92 years old. That's the pattern. Just, but I just say, Lord, just keep me here as long as the body needs me here, as long as you want me here. But still my hope is Rapture. Rapture. Amen. And so I just wanted to address that so that uh, you're not condemning yourself for just being a normal brother or sister at a certain stage. And so we sing in our prayers, come Lord Jesus. We love that song. The Lord knows our heart. Eventually you'll be able to say, well, I got a choice now. You're giving me a choice of passing through the tribulation or being in the wedding feast. And so I don't think the earth is such a good place at this stage. So take me. But anyway, this is what the overcomers do. They're going to cause the age to change. Then we have a long definition of God's economy. I'll just read it. I better not say much. The economy of God is that God became flesh, passed through human living, 
died, resurrected, and became the life-giving spirit to enter into us as life and dispense God into us that we may be transformed for the producing of the church, the church which is the body of Christ, the house of God, the kingdom of God, and the counterpart of Christ, the ultimate aggregate of which is the new Jerusalem. J3, only the recovered church can fulfill God's eternal purpose. Here's one instance. If there is someone, a young person, who loves the Lord, who wants to serve the Lord, and he's in a denomination, and he feels called to serve the Lord, then he will be directed to get his undergraduate education, then go to a theological seminary to get a professional theological education. Then you will be ordained. There will be a ceremony, and you will be ordained, and they'll call you reverend. And then you can now be employed as a, as a pastor. Well, that is the clergy laity system. So now you then go to be a pastor of a certain denominational church, and you you know you're the professional. The rest are the laymen, and the whole system kills the function of the members. And it's members that will build up the body, not the pastors, not the theologians. So it's just a fact that the divisions and the huge religious institutions and the denominations, they cannot be used by God to fulfill his purpose. He may have someones there, like Billy Graham, that are pure and faithful, And he may give them the kingdom reward, but he has no way to get through that. He's got to get through by way of the Pope to all the millions of Catholics. So he must have the recovered church. Then once the church is recovered, the God-ordained way of practicing the church life needs to be recovered so that we don't have in our mind, well, The co-workers are a class, they're our clergy. The elders are a class, they're the clergy. No, they're just members of the body with a particular function. When I go back to Anaheim, I'm not an elder in Anaheim. With one exception, all the elders are younger than I am, and the new ones are really younger than I am. I'm old enough to be their dad. I I want it that way. I like it that way. I'm happy just to be a brother there, just to be a member there. And so this indicates that it's only in the recovered church that God's eternal purpose can be fulfilled. And this is just a fact. The eternal purpose, the purpose of the ages, is the eternal plan that God made in eternity past. God's purpose in creating man was that man would express him and represent him. The eternal purpose of God is to have a corporate man to express him and represent him. A little comment here. 
It's not only to have the image. God said of the male and female, let them have dominion. They need to replenish the earth. They need to subdue it. There's an enemy here. And I need a people who will represent me, not only express me, but represent me. And I will share my authority with them to represent me. And they will deal with the enemy. I, God as God, will not deal with the creature directly. It was a man, Jesus, the son of man, who destroyed the devil. Now now it will be the God-men, the church, with redeemed and regenerated human beings as the means, they will apply this victory. And this is a particular need in the Lord's recovery. We've emphasized very much, and we need to emphasize more, being transformed into his image to express him. But he is waiting for his representation. He is waiting for prayers in the prayer meeting that will enable God to execute his government on the earth, enable him to do his will on the earth. I fully believe, without a shadow of a doubt, God's desire is to open the nation of Iran and allow the white horse of the gospel to gallop throughout that country because there are thousands, if not millions, of young people that will respond to this gospel. And surely he has many chosen ones there. And maybe we just call on the Lord. We're not leading people to rise up against their government. But Lord, do something. Open up Iran. Lord, North Korea. Remove the Kim dynasty. Open the way. Then the saints in South Korea will flood the country with the ministry material. The whole recovery version is now in Korean. Well, this is the representation part. Primarily through our praying and our gospel preaching. Matthew 24, 14. The Lord says this gospel of the kingdom must be preached throughout the inhabited earth. And then the end will come. And so, Lord, the earth is the Lord's. The Kim dynasty has been there long enough. Exercise your authority. Exercise your government. May your will be done. May your will be done in these countries. Open them up. And uh, I just know someone. He is prepared. And the sister he will marry is prepared. He is ready. And he is motivated to be in the Arabic-speaking world and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom at any cost. At any cost. He's not trying to be a hero. And so, to represent the Lord, uh, this is a great thing. And so that is why, in the crystallization study of numbers, in the second part, We talked about the formation of the army. We need to reach the spiritual age of 20. That's just coming out of spiritual adolescence into spiritual young adulthood. You're now entering the fourth stage of the experience of life. 
you're in the realm of maturation, and you will go from this level, this level of maturity, to this one, to this one, to this one, for the rest of your life. Because it's through the church he will do this. The eternal purpose of God is to have a corporate man to express him and represent him. So especially in the prayer ministry of the church and announcing the gospel of the kingdom. And that gospel tells people, you need to change your mind, you need to repent, we're going to transfer you out of the satanic kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. And we're going to immerse you in water and baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And there'll be joy in heaven over every sinner who repents and everyone who is baptized. Now the subpoints. Okay, okay, four. As a sign, the church in Philadelphia prefigures the recovered church. It's like a symbol. The church in Philadelphia prophetically depicts the church of brotherly love. That is the proper church life. No classes. Just the same love for one another. And the Lord will work in us that we are not preferential in any way. We have no bias, no prejudice, no discrimination. It's the same love for every kind of believer. It's so sweet. B, one outstanding feature of the church in Philadelphia is that she keeps the Lord's word. So we love the word of God. We study it. We pray it. We internalize it. We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We love the word. We test everything by the word. Everything I present here, you test by the word. We're like the Bereans. They received Paul's message. Then they searched the scriptures not to get arguments, but to see whether these things were so. And so test everything by the word. We don't follow blindly. We don't follow a man as a man. We follow the vision. We follow the truth. We follow the word. See, in Revelation 3.8, the Lord says that the church in Philadelphia has not denied his name. Well, when I was a little boy, my parents took me to Sunday school in the Finnish Apostolic Lutheran Church. That is a different name. Uh, I don't see it mentioned in Romans, do you? What about in Galatians? No no Finnish? No apostolic? Finnish apostolic? Not there? It's another name. Presbyterian, another name. Methodist, another name. In the 19th century... <clears throat> when the brothers were raised up, they dropped all their names. <clears throat> this is in England Amen. with a class system. And those that were lady so-and-sos and sir so-and-so, they abandoned all of their titles. Amen. We'll just be the common people, just the brothers. And, uh, and wouldn't take any other name. So we don't have a name. I live in Anaheim. I'm part of the church in Anaheim. That's not our name. That's a designation. And this is not a small thing. So we don't meet in the name of any person. We meet, we're gathered into the Lord's name. He's the only name we have. 
He's our husband. We're taking his name. The recovered church not only has returned in a full way to the Lord's word, but has also abandoned all names other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I went from Finnish Apostolic uh, Lutheran Church to United Presbyterian Church. Why didn't I make the change? You might think, well, well, probably Ron uh, studied theology, he studied Calvin, and he studied the New Testament. No, I was 15 years old, and I had a cute little cute girl, Jane, who was my girlfriend, <laughs> and she invited me to attend a special meeting in her Broadway United Presbyterian Church. So I went there because she was there. <laughs> and then I heard in a few months there's going to be a special Christian conference in August for a whole week. And my friends are going there, and Jane is going to go there. So I just wanted to go there to be with her. And so we went and we're on this college campus. And then after the meetings on the Lord's Day, we're walking into town, and I see Jane walking hand in hand with this really geeky-looking <laughs> college student that was waiting on the table. She abandoned me. She forsook me. I'm stuck in this conference now for a week. <laughs> so what am I going to do? Well, I listened to this one person preach, and I wish I could tell him this. I don't know if the Lord will ever let me tell him this. When he's, we're together in the new heaven and the new earth, I would say, Dr. So-and-so. I was saved at this missionary conference in 1955. And I want you to know, I was saved in spite of you. <laughs> because if I only listened to you, I would have rejected everything. You just instilled fear into us. But following you, there was a man who preached Christ. And I responded to him. Then on Saturday night, we had a testimony meeting. I stood up and spoke, and the Lord came into me. So that's how I became a Presbyterian. And so I didn't know where else to go until I left the whole system in 1966 and was led into the Lord's recovery. So, so please don't enter into the church life just because your boyfriend is here. <laughs> it might be your entrance, but it shouldn't be the real determining factor. Okay, and E, the return to the pure word from all heresies and traditions and to the exaltation of the Lord's name by abandoning every other name are the most inspiring testimony of the recovery church. So simple. One word, one name, one love. The overcomers are produced by the overcoming Christ as the sevenfold intensified spirit. And, and they are burdened for the building up of the body of Christ as the preparation of the bride of Christ. Okay? The overcomers are produced. And sevenfold intensified spirit, that's an interpretation of the phrase 
seven spirits, which is the designation of the divine spirit intensified. And when the Lord operates in us in this intensified way, he can do a lot in a month. So if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who drifted away from the church life for a period of time, I know some 20 years, 30 years, then they come back and we're happy and they're happy. Then the enemy comes and attacks them and says, yes, you're back, but it's too late. You wasted too much time. You'll never make it. Well, we need to shut the enemy's lying mouth. And then we give this verse from Joel. God said this, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. The Lord didn't bring you back home in order to make you disappointed that it's too late. I told some brothers yesterday, there's quite an age range, but some of them approximated mine. I wanted to encourage them sincerely. It's not too late for any one of us. And no one is too old. Those are lies from the enemy. Lord, for the sake of your purpose and economy, make me an overcomer. And he will do it. And one way he will do it is he will apply in your life, Romans 8, 37, where Paul says this, in all these things, we more than overcome through Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. His love for us is so prevailing. And Paul invented a Greek verb. We have to translate it into English more than overcome. It is huper nikao, to super overcome. You will super overcome, not just barely make it. And it's the love of God toward you that's going to enable you to do this. You're not going to just barely make it and squeak into the kingdom and just give me a little part of the outback for a thousand years. Okay. I know some of the big guys get Sydney and all of that stuff. No. No. You read Second Peter 1, 5 through 11. We grow in life and there's a rich, bountiful entrance into the kingdom. And so it's not too late and no one's too old. No one's too bad. Right? No. Then the Lord will say, I forgive you. When I forgive you, I forget. Okay? So now I forgot your history. So let's just start from now and go on. Okay? Let me... I'm very good at this. I took someone who was breathing out murder against all of us and made him an overcomer. And probably you have not breathed out murder to anyone all this week long, have you? No. You have not tried to destroy even one local church so far this month. No. (laughs) Here's someone doing all of these things, and God has mercy on him and makes him a pattern. This is what's happened when the trained God in Christ as the Spirit works in you. So I say, Lord, make us all overcomers. Everyone here. Christ as the sevenfold intensified Spirit produces the overcomers. 
who overcome the degradation of the church, build up the body of Christ, and consummate the new Jerusalem. Without the overcomers, the body of Christ cannot be built up. And unless the body of Christ is built up, Christ cannot come back for his bride. The building up of the body of Christ is by the overcomers, produced by Christ as the sevenfold intensified life-giving spirit. He's producing us, but we're not aware of it. Paul's the pattern, only at the end can we say, I did it. I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. I finished the race. There's a crown of righteousness for me. So it's happening us, happening in us. So we don't walk around with an invisible badge, me an overcomer. No. We're all in the process. We just trust the Lord. When we ask him to do it, he will do it. The the building up of the body of Christ by the overcomers in this age is for the initial consummation of the new Jerusalem in the kingdom age and eventually for the full consummation of the new Jerusalem in the new heaven and the new earth. So the overcomers in this age, when they become the bride, they will be the new Jerusalem in the kingdom age because the new Jerusalem is the bride then at the end of the kingdom age, all the believers will be transformed and matured and perfected, and they will become the wife. And they will be the new Jerusalem in full in the new heaven and the new earth. So I don't want to wait to be the wife and miss the wedding feast, right? We want to be in the wedding feast and be his bride and have a wonderful wedding day lasting a thousand years. And what a wonderful honeymoon Our Lord may say, dear, uh, we're going to go on a trip. Where are we going? We're going to Armageddon. (laughs) What will we do when we go to Armageddon? We're going to fight against the enemy and destroy him. Then we're going to remove human government. That's one reason I married you. (laughs) I needed to have a warrior wife. Not a warrior wife, a warrior wife. And Sister Lee, at the age of 95, she asked me to come and, and pray with her in the presence of many other saints. She, she said, I'm engaged in warfare. I need you to pray with me. And so, and then, 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 of course, you know, the, the bride, you know, she's a woman. Well, then what do I wear? when I go to Armageddon, and he says, dear, your wedding dress is your warrior's uniform. Let's go. And then it may be that the Lord will come and breathe and consume the enemy by the breath of his mouth. But then he may say to the enemy, do you see this, bride of mine? Remember what you did to her? how you injected your evil nature into her and death and deformed her and damaged her and how you attacked her and abused her while she was a believer. But now look at her. She is spotless, isn't she? She is without blemish. She's exactly the same as I am. Now, enemy, I'm giving her the responsibility to proclaim 
my victory over you. The woman is going to smash you. I believe so. That would really be humiliating to him. You know? This is like when a real proud man is kind of outwitted by a smart woman. He just hates that. I mean, I'm willing to lose to a stronger guy, a smart guy, but to a woman, well, too bad. There are a lot of women smarter than you. You might as well... Anyway, you get the point. (laughs) The pride is going to be dealt with. And we will be spotless. We will be perfect. We will be without blemish. All the wrinkles will be washed away. All the scars from the things that hurt us will be washed away. We're going to be a beautiful warrior wife. Okay. Now we finish up here. See, the Lord's promise at the end of each of the seven epistles in Revelation 2 and 3 refer both to the present enjoyment of the overcomers and to the reward given to them in the coming millennial kingdom. Like the overcomer will partake of the tree of life. That will be the reward. But it will be a reward because that's what you're doing now. Right? You are partaking of the tree of life now. And so if you will become the wife then, you are becoming the wife now. If you will reign in life then, it's because you're reigning in life now. So what we are experiencing now will become a reward. In order to enter into the Lord's joy and receive the Lord as our exceeding great reward in the next age, we need to gain him and faithfully enjoy him today in this age. I appreciate our sister sharing. And, and both of you use the word struggle. And there's a time to struggle. But I, I also like to suggest something else. Just stop trying. Just stop working. And just sit before the Lord. Turn your heart to him. Open to him and say, Lord, work yourself into me. Amen. Fill me with the all-inclusive riches of Christ. Amen? Okay? Amen? Good. Two, if we do not faithfully enjoy and experience Christ as the reality of his promises today, we will not participate in their fulfillment in the kingdom age. The principle is that what we are will become our reward. So the Lord is concerned first, not with what we do, but with what we are. And so he is going to make what we are the same as what he is. And so we are going to have deeper experiences and much more enjoyment for the rest of this year than we've had at any time in our whole life. And it will just go on and on. It will never end. So we're not just here dreaming, hoping. I just hope I'm in the kingdom. I hope I'm an overcomer. I'm afraid I won't make it, but I'm still hoping I'm hanging in there. I've learned to drop that to say, Lord, you are the overcomer. You are producing overcomers. So now I ask you, Lord, by yourself, as a sevenfold spirit, make me an overcomer for your body, for your bride, and for your kingdom. And I have the full assurance you will do it in all of us. Simply ask him. Amen.
Lord, reproduce yourself in me. Make me an overcomer. So that as I'm living and practicing the church life in the recovered church, I will be fulfilling God's purpose and consummating God's economy. We will do this personally and we will do this together because one aspect of being an overcomer is we're not individualistic heroes. We're members of a wonderful household and we encourage one another, we cover one another, we shepherd one another, we supply one another, we pray for one another, we fight for one another. And then when the hour comes, all of us, all over the earth, will be raptured live through the throne of God and be presented to the Son as his bride-to-be. I live and breathe for this. Praise the Lord for his kindness and mercy to us.